Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Glad that you guys are here with us or joining us online. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 12. As you turn there, a couple of announcements I want to remind you guys of. Uh, we got a couple of discovering classes that are going to be happening at Willow Ridge Church. Excited about those. Uh, the first one you saw on the video, Discovering Willow. And so here's what that class is. If you would like to become a member or if you're just interested in getting more information about Willow Ridge Church and who we are, Pastor Dave's going to be leading that class. And so there's a sign up for that in the lobby. I want to encourage you to go and be a part of that. Let's say you've been here worshiping with us for some time and you know you want to make this your church home, then go to that class, and at the end of it, you'll have an opportunity to do that. Let's say you're visiting, and you just want to find out more about our church, who we are, what we do, why we do it, get some questions answered. That's a wonderful place for you to be able to go and and to gain some information. Uh, We don't force anyone. We've had a lot of people say, hey, following the class, I want to go home and and pray about becoming a member, and that is definitely uh, welcomed and and encouraged, and so I want to give you that opportunity, but that's our Discovering Willow class. Uh, the second discovering class we've got is our discovering baptism. And so that's for anyone, right? Uh, any of our, our kids, of our students, of our adults who would like to get baptized, Pastor Dave is going to be leading a class on that where we explain what baptism is, what this means, what you're saying is when you come forward. So let's say uh, you're a believer in Christ and you've never been baptized and you know that that's what God has for you. We want to encourage you to take that class. Let's say you're unsure. Let's say you came from, from another, another faith, maybe even another denomination, and you want to understand baptism and why we do it the way that we do it and what this means. You can just sign up to be a part of that class as you continue to explore and, and see what God has for you, okay? We'd love for you all to be a part of this. I, I will say this as we get ready to plan our next baptism. In order to be baptized, we do require that you go through the class. We want to make sure that you know that baptism does not save you, that you are saved prior to being baptized, but it is a a commandment from the Lord and it's a profession of the faith that you are saved. And so would love to have you go through that class. Uh, last announcement before we, before we get in, you'll, you'll see hopefully you got the email this past week. If you didn't get the email this past week, you've got a piece of paper on the section of chairs where you're seated. That is the email introducing you to our new student minister, Moses Boyd. Uh, just kind of share with you guys some, some of the details as we've gone through this process for, for coming up on around 17 months. Uh, when we went into this pre-COVID, pre-everything, we thought, well, this will be easy. I had plans, thought this is what it would be like, and God uh, threw the brakes on it for us. And it's been a wonderful time of transition for us as a church as we've gone through a different season of life. Uh, and I'm not talking about with COVID, just a different season as we've led our student ministry in, in different capacities. And, and as we would go through this, we would feel like we were getting somewhere with a candidate, and, and then God would close the door and, and go with another candidate 
candidate, and God would close the door. And then this past January, we got introduced to, to Moses and began the process with him. And at each and every time that, that we spoke and that we had an opportunity to sit down across the table was just another confirmation that this is who God has for us. And so Moses will be moving down here this Thursday. We've got a small group that are going to go up there and, and help. It's wonderful. He, a bachelor, so he doesn't own much, and first floor apartment, so we don't have to do stairs, all right? So we're going to go and move him from, from Rock Hill, where he lives now, and move him down to, to Lexington. And he will be here uh, next Sunday, uh, just as he starts. That'll be his first day officially on staff. And so I want to encourage you all uh, to get to, to meet him uh, that day. And then his fiance, Christina, she will be graduating from Winthrop in May and then be moving down to Lexington later this summer. Now, I know some of you have done this already because I've been checking our mutual friends on Facebook, all right? I had somebody ask me, hey, now that we know, can we go find him on Facebook? Yes, you can. Go Facebook stalk him, friend him, uh, uh, comment on him, encourage him, welcome him here as they're excited about the transition that, that God is leading in their life. And I know that we're excited about the, the transition that God is bringing us through here at Willow Ridge as well. So just pray for them, pray for this process, and we look forward uh, to what God has in store for us. Well, on to our message this morning. So I want to kind of recap. We, we, we took about a month off with, with Easter. And with Pastor Dustin sharing last week as he's planting Hope Valley uh, Church there in, in Utah, but we're back in our uh, study of, of the Gospel of Luke. And I want to remind you that, that this is a section of, of what we've just kind of gotten into where Jesus and the disciples are approaching Jerusalem. There's kind of the first time, the, the first section of, of, of the Gospel of Luke is Jesus' early ministry out, out in Galilee, kind of in the rural parts of the area. But then the Bible tells us that Jesus Jesus turned his face to Jerusalem, and they began to head that way. And that's significant because what Jesus is heading toward is his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. And this is where we find him in this time. And so as he's headed there with his disciples, with his followers, right? The, uh, most times in, in the earlier, there were kind of larger groups that had come out to the country to hear Jesus. But now for the most part, the, these are the smaller, more intimate, personal groups that Jesus I, I, is walking with. And, and what Jesus is doing in, in 1235, okay, is he's preparing his disciples for the time when they will be without him. And this is important for us. Jesus does a lot to prepare them for the crucifixion and the resurrection and the time in between. But when I say Jesus is preparing them for the time without him, it's not that time. It's, it's not the time that we just got done celebrating for, for Easter. Jesus is preparing them for the time after he ascends into heaven. So after the, the resurrection, Jesus came, came back and he, he ministered and, and walked amongst the disciples. And then we see in, in Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven. And so what Jesus is preparing them for is that day where he ascends into heaven and the time to, for, for when he goes to then when he returns to the earth. And that's an important part of our Christian faith. That Jesus in Acts 1, he departs, and then what we see in Revelation is the telling of the return of Christ. And he says to them, this 
will happen and so that you need to know that it will happen and then it should change your life that I'm going to return. The return of Christ should matter to them and what we're gonna see this morning is that the return of Christ should matter to us. Like, the, like the, the, the notion of end times should be more than just a science fiction approach that we take where, where, where bad movies and bad books are written about it, all right? That it should change the, the reality of your everyday life and my everyday life that there's going to become a point in time when Jesus returns and then here's what's key, and we don't know when that will be. It'd be great if we could write it on the calendar, It'd be wonderful if, if we knew the time in which it would happen. But as we're going to see, Jesus tells the disciples that even the Son of Man doesn't know when it will happen. But that we live our life every single day and every single moment in the anticipation that Christ is going to come. So we live for future events. And this should be something that we're comfortable with. It should be something that we're, we're good at. I read this this week, and, and I loved it. It says this, everyone plans their actions in the present based on what they believe the future is likely to hold. Let me read that again. Everyone plans their actions in the present based on what they believe the future is likely to hold. So based off of what you believe tomorrow and the next week and the next year looks like is why you decide to live your day in the way that you do. It's why we have retirement accounts. We're not promised tomorrow, but we look forward to a day. In a more practical speaking for all of us, we all did this today. Here's what we did. We woke up this morning, we got out our phone, or we turned on the news, and we checked the weather right? We want to know what will the day hold in the future so that I know how to prepare in the right now. It determines the way that we dress. It determines the schedule of our day, what we're going to accomplish. And if you live in our house, it even determines what we eat. Nothing makes us happier in the wintertime than to find out that it's going to be a cold, rainy day come dinnertime because we know that soup night and we love soup night, right? So we live in our current situation. We plan our present actions based off of what we believe the future to hold. And Jesus is going to tell us that based off of his return, it should, it should impact and it should change and it should alter the way that you and I, the way that we live our everyday life. And so let's look at this, starting in verse 45, uh, 35, I'm sorry. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants." 
So what Jesus does here is he, as he paints this picture, as he tells this stories for his disciples, is the reward of the servants who actively wait, that's important, who actively wait for the return of their master. Jesus says in scripture, it's not that they're just anticipating the day that he returns. It's that they're intentionally doing things in their life. They're changing a, a pattern from which they had before because they know at some point in time, the master is going to return. They are actively waiting. Jesus says that they stayed dressed and they kept the lamps burning. Here's what this means. Their, their everyday attire of what they would do to work and to serve when the master would come, that's how they would look. That they would keep their, their lamps instead of saving and conserving the, the oil that it would take to burn them. They keep the lamps burning because they know at some point in time he's going to be here and we want everything ready for them. He says that even blessed are, are those that the master finds awake when he comes, right? That they, they, they wait on the second watch or, or the third watch, and he finds them awake and, and blesses those servants. So Jesus says, look, there's even some who decide they're, they're not going to sleep because the master is going to return. You see, it's not a picture of, of waiting on Jesus doesn't look like kicking our feet back in a recliner, spiritually speaking. It's actively waiting, continuing to do what the master has called them to do. They had no reason to know when he would return. Jesus says that the master could return at any moment. And based off of the readiness that they show, Jesus says, then that's how their reward is gained. And I, and I think this is really interesting. Jesus defines this, describes this reward. He says, look, look the master is going to take their role. They're, they're waiting for the master to return so that they could serve him. And then what happens? The master takes the role of the servant and seats them at the table and serves them. Look, look at verse 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would not have left his house broken into. You, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now here's the key. Jesus reminds them. You don't know when this will be, so be ready. Be ready. I, I remember there, there's a, an age in my life. Uh, I'm six years older uh, than my sister. And at a point in time in my life, my, my parents determined that I was mature enough and responsible enough to be left at home, but to also be the authority figure over my, my sister. Now, it wasn't at the age yet where, where they would leave for an overnight trip or for a weekend or for a vacation, but now they reach that point in life to where, you know, we can go out to dinner, just the two of us, and leave Bo and Megan at home. We can go out and go to friends' houses and, and not have to bring them along with us and leave us at home. And so my parents, because they know the, the idleness of my hands and my mind would get me in trouble in a lot of things, they would leave me a list of things to do. Get your homework done. Clean up after supper. 
get the clothes folded, nothing crazy. And then they would always say, make sure all of these things are done before we return. Well, 14-year-old Bo would follow that with a question. When are you going to be home? Because if you're leaving at 6 and you're not going to be home at 10, I don't have to start any of this until 9.55, right? And at 9.55, I can get everything in order so that you walk in and I'm good. And my parents would say, we'll be home when we're home. Right? Yeah, I hear that from parents. Like, ooh, yeah, but y'all know y'all do that too, right? You don't tell your kids when you're going to be home. Catch them, right? That's what we do. The joy of being a parent, right? So that's what my parents would do. They'd say, no, no, no. Your obedience is in the fact that you're ready. Your obedience is not by based in when we're going to come home to catch you. That the obedience that we're looking for is that you do what's right, that you're prepared, that you're ready for, for when we return. And that's what Jesus describes his servants that will receive this reward. Verse 41, Peter's in the crowd of his followers. And he asks a question that says, Peter said, Lord, are, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And this is, this is important. Peter draws a line of a moment of clarity. Jesus, is this for everyone or just for us? In verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. So Peter asked a question, is this for us, right, this group of, of leaders, close disciples of Jesus that have been put in these positions of authority and are going to be put in greater positions of authority when Jesus leaves, is this for, for us or is this for all? And Jesus answers the question by saying yes. It is for all, but it's a different level for those who are entrusted with Jesus' words with managing, but what we're going to call leadership. And that in that, within leadership, there's, there's this greater reward that's there. And so we, we, we look at those of us who have been trusted in, in matters of teaching and authority and a leadership within the body. And, and Jesus says, like, look, look there, there's a greater reward in your faithfulness. We don't know what it all means. I don't know what it all looks like. But I think it gives great clarity to, to what James writes in James 1.3 where he says that those of you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Oftentimes we look at that verse and we look at the negative aspect of it. And there is true, and we're going to see that in, in just a moment. But there's also the reward side of that. So for those of you in authority, those of you in leadership, those of you in teaching, and I want to clarify, like, like I, sometimes people hear that, they think of authority above adults, teaching of adults, but we view it as within the body. So the great value that, that we place on every age and the influence of them from our nursery to our preschool to our elementary school to our students to our adults at every age of life is a value in here. And that's what Jesus is pointing him to. Yes, it's for them, but it's also for, for you. Be judged with, with greater strictness. Jesus continues on in verse 45. 
He's going to paint the other side of this for us. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. And so what we find here is it's not just about the reward, the other side of the coin, and Jesus wants us to understand that those who do not actively wait in the manner by which the master had established will face the punishment of the judgment that is going to come. It's not just the, the, the exciting part that we get to see that this is the reward. Jesus also says, well, here are the consequences to this. And just as there are two kinds of rewards that we see, we're going to see that there's two kinds of punishments. And these punishments should cause us to look and to evaluate and to assess our lives and, and our hearts of, of who we are. I, I want to look at these two punishments, but in reverse order. So look at verse 48 with me again. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. The one who didn't know the will of the master, the one who didn't know that the punishment would come, the one who didn't know the standard and who lived in counter to the standard will still receive a beating. That ignorance is not an excuse. And what that should create in us, it's been our heart for so long at this church, is why it matters when we walk out of here knowing that there are men, women, and children who do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there are men, women, and children who do not have access to the gospel. It should bother you. It should affect you that those in your life whom you deeply love don't know Jesus And more importantly, how do you know that they've heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ? One of the important takeaways that I hope you got last week with hearing uh, Pastor Dustin come and, and share. There are people in this world who have heard a lot about Jesus, but they've never been introduced to who he truly is. And that should pull at our hearts to the point to where we're not isolating in our, ourselves in, in this group of, of, of perceived self-holiness of, of pockets of the church excluded from the world, but that you and I are intentionally diving into relationships with men and women who do not know Christ and who are far from him with the hopes for the opportunity to share the gospel with them that you and I take on a burden that it's not okay that men and women who speak different languages and who live in different countries do not have access to the gospel. And so we give and we go and we pray that that could happen. This should matter to us. 
Jesus' words are clear. Let, let, let verse 48 tug at your heart. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. The punishment is there. Now, verse 47 is the verse that keeps me awake. And the servant that knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. You know, my, my, my heart and, and, and my fear in this, when I read this verse, is there are men and women who were filling churches all over this world who have bought into a cultural Christianity that they've become a part of, but who were far from the gospel. They know the gospel. They could tell you the gospel. They've tweaked and, and modified some behaviors to, to trick you for the gospel. But the truth is of who they are is reflective of what happens when the master leaves. Who they are is reflective of not what takes place in moments of worship, of not what takes place in, in confidentiality of a small group, but is who they are in their mind and their heart the rest of the time. And let's be honest, who they are in their mind and their heart when they're gathering for worship, when they're gathering for small group, that this is who they are, people who know the will of the master, but still choose to act according to their own will because they're still their own master. And they're still their own authority. And notice Jesus says, those who don't know will receive a light beating. But those who do and still reject, they will receive a severe beating. We've got to let that resonate within us. We've got to allow that to, to capture ourselves. What frightens me the most about verse 47 was that for so much of my life, that was me. I had them tricked, I had them fooled, I had myself convinced. But who I was at my heart was far from God. I knew the things of God. I knew the behaviors that God wanted. But in the transformation of what God wanted me to be was far from that. And I fully believe that until that day when Jesus saved me, in spite of the spiritual resume that I could have built before, if I would have passed, verse 47 would have rang true in my life. So this, this story has a simple point. Be ready. Be ready. He could return at, at any point in any time. Be ready. What does that mean, though? When my parents would, would leave me, be ready for when we return home. I knew what that meant. Be ready. There was a list that was there. There were things that I could do. Well, when we look at, at Luke 12 this morning, I want us to see Jesus gives us some details of what this could be. Now, there's two things I want to be mindful of, and, and what does it mean to be ready? Number one, I don't think that this is an exhaustive list of what a life with Christ looks like. But I do believe there is reason that Jesus brought these two things together in Luke chapter 12 for us. So I don't want it to create a list like I did with my parents. All right, homework checked, dishes done, check. My sister in bed, check. I don't want to create that. But what I do want for you to do is to be able to examine your, your heart and your life and begin to search for and ask yourself, who am I? 
And am I ready? The first thing that, that Jesus is going to point us to is fear the Lord. Luke, Luke 12, 5 says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And Jesus is pointing to a time in their culture where, where, where people are were afraid of things that they need to be afraid of. They're afraid of the authorities. They're afraid of persecution. They're afraid of what life may roll out at him. But their fear of God is removed. And I feel like you and I can find ourselves in that same manner. Was it this just week that the, the fear of UFOs was all over the news, right? But I tell you, fear the Lord. And here's what this means. Normally when we fear things, we hide from them and we get away from them. That's not what the fear of the Lord means. But to fear the Lord is to live your life in reverence and awe of who he is. Because of his holiness and our depth in knowing them. So, so what we do is, is God is, is so good and, and loving and approachable. And what we have to do is approach God in, in, in the way that he reveals himself to us, but also in a manner that acknowledges that he is holy. He is, he is God the Father who hears you, who loves you, who pursues you and saves you. But there's a holiness about him that the more that I dive into understanding his love, the more I dive into understanding my reverence in response to him. The second thing that Jesus is going to tell us is to be bold. To be bold. Luke 12, 8 through 9 and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What I want us to, to point to is to, to be bold, to be confident in your faith in who you are in Christ. If you hear last week, I, I told Dustin I was going to steal this from him as he's, as he's telling us of what it looks like to, to go and plant a church in, in the Salt Lake City area of Utah where he lives. He said this, we share the gospel, we're not there to argue. And, and I took that and began to really think through that in our life of what it looks like to not try to argue the gospel into someone's brain. Here's one thing that I've, that I've become to understand more and more in, in our day and in our time. An argument hardly ever changes anyone's mind. We can argue till we're blue in the face. And that's what we do. We come at it with a fight. But Jesus calls us to live in a boldness with where we share. Now, if I were to say to, to you, have you ever shared your faith? Most of the church hasn't. And we haven't because of a fear. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take away your fear. Here's what you're afraid of. You're afraid of, I don't know enough. What if they ask a question I can't answer? What if, what if there's something that I leave out? What if I mess this up? What if I get a word wrong? I don't know enough scripture. What if they bring up a point that confuses me? And all of this is legitimate if your point is to argue, but if your point is just to share who Jesus is, 
Let me take this away from you with a silly example, okay? I love, deeply love creme brulee, all right? Anybody else there with me? Raise your hand. It is, it is goodness, right? God gives that to me to show me that he is good and that he loves me. That's what I believe about creme brulee, all right? If I go to a restaurant and creme brulee is on the menu, I'm ordering creme brulee. One time Aaron and I were at a restaurant and I ordered creme brulee and she said, oh great, we could share that. I called the waiter back. We're gonna need two of those, all right? She said, well, I only want half of it though. And I said, great, that means that I have more creme brulee. I love creme brulee, all right? Here's what I'll tell you, that, okay? I love it. I, I, I eat it every chance that I get. Number one, I don't know what's in it. I have no clue. Number two, I don't know the history of creme brulee. I don't know who created it. I don't know who, can, who invented it. I, I have no clue. Uh, number three, I don't know how to cook it. If you were to tell me today, go home without the internet and make creme brulee, we'll give you all the ingredients. You've lost me at that. I don't know. Here's what I know. I know how to eat creme brulee. All right? That's what I know. Here's what I can tell you about creme brulee. I can tell you that I love it. I can tell you the restaurants that have it. I can tell you what it tastes like. And as weird as this may sound, I know the sensation that I get when I eat creme brulee because it is good. Why? Because I've tasted it. I've experienced it. I know the goodness that comes from it. And so I can stand here today and tell you my experience with creme brulee. Psalm 34 tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, when we look at sharing our experience with Jesus, when we look at sharing our faith, I believe there's more of Psalm 34 that we need to share and not so much worry about arguing our theological points. There's a point in time that, that we can do those things, but your neighbor does not care about your view of end of times. Your neighbor does not care about your perspective of speaking in tongues or the difference between Islam and Christianity. Your neighbor needs to know who Jesus is and the best way that you can do that is because you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. And if you've tasted God, if you've experienced Christ, you know what that looks like in your life. You can't explain every verse of Scripture, but you know the goodness of the Lord. And so when we say share it, you can. Now here's the question. Or, or can you? Well, I, I can't tell them those things. I haven't experienced those things. If that's where your heart is this morning, if I'm saying to you, share your experience with God, and you can't, my question for you is, is what is your heart telling you? Why can't you? Third thing, live generously. 
It says, sell your possessions, Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Live your life generously. Make kingdom investments. So important for us to see and to realize that the gospel calls ourselves to see us second. Jesus says, love the Lord your God and others, right? That's what we're to look at. And then we fall second in that list. And what does that look like in in your life and mine? It means to live generously. I love the words of Jesus. He doesn't hide them there. He's he's pretty confident with, with what he's saying, and we can be confident in what he means. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. So what does it mean to live generously? Give to the needy. When we see needs, we give to them. We don't accumulate, we give away. We don't worry about what they're going to do with it. We worry about what we're doing with it. Let God sort out the things of God. That's the whole point of Luke chapter 12, of what Jesus is talking about. Let me worry and define which servant obeyed the master and what servant didn't. Financial shrewdness is not necessarily what we're looking for, but it's living in generosity. Now, it doesn't mean that we should be financially smart because of what God can take and bless and do. But don't overthink a handful of change to someone that's hurting. Don't overthink an extra combo meal at McDonald's for the man standing on the side of the road holding a paper sign. Don't overthink it. Give it away. Let God sort it out. But be faithful. And then Jesus says, invest in the kingdom work. Invest in the work that's being done. We can go and we can give and we can can do both. And are you? Do your finances reflect your relationship with the Lord? I would argue they do. What do they look like? The fourth, obey. Simply put, obey. Luke 12, 47. And that the servant who knew the master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Jesus says, just just obey. We have to move in faith. If If we are being ready for the return of Christ, We must live our life not in a have-to mindset, but in a get-to mindset. They actively waited in anticipation for the return of the master, and in everything and in every hope they had, as he came, it was fulfilled. And so for you and I, it's not that we have to, the mindset that we have to have is I get to obey. Jesus in John 14 is pretty clear with his words, if anyone loves me, they will keep my commandments, is what he says. If anyone loves me, not they may, Jesus says they will. And I want to be careful, this is not works gospel, it is grace through faith that saves us, but the gospel does a work in those who are truly saved, that a transformation begins to happen, and they desire to do the will of God, and it's what we see as the fruit of our salvation. 
So at a point in time in our life, I'm gonna tell you this, this is something recently that God has brought me into in my life that I'm starting to, to have a heart that is transforming more and more to like his. To, to hear, here's, where I, here's the weirdness of where I am with the gospel right now, that when a, the Holy Spirit or someone the Holy Spirit puts in my life points out a sin in my life, I get kind of excited. And here's why because I get the joyful process of seeing that sin removed from my life and the victory of Jesus found in me. And that's obedience. I'm not perfect. Hang out with me for an afternoon, right? It's not perfection, it's obedience of what he's calling us to. And then lastly, and we'll close with this, most important one that we're going to see, but you got to jump forward to Luke 13. It's repent. Repent. Verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Verse 3, it's important. Verse 3 and 5, I want to hang on to these. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 4, are those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Verse 5, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The, the, the conflict of what Jesus is dealing with is there are some individuals who experience some horrific deaths, and like, are their sins worse than others? And Jesus is like, that's not the point. The point is verse three. The point is verse five. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here's the truth of us for us this morning. Death is coming and it shows no favoritism. Death's coming for you. Death's coming for me. And death doesn't care how much money you make, how much education you have, how well liked you are. Death is coming, and it shows no favoritism. And we, as believers in Christ, aren't freed from the physical reality of death. But we are free from the punishment. And Jesus says, here's the key. Repent. 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 And somewhere along the lines, we've changed repentance into just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The truth is, that's a, that's a part of repentance. But to repent means to change your mind. Now, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? I'm going to change my mind about a history of behaviors in my life. I'm going to change my mind about who I am in my life. I'm going to change my mind on the perceived image that I portray to people. I'm going to change my mind of who I am. And what's going to come from this, the power of the gospel, Acts 26, Paul says, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. It's not just about saying you're sorry, it's what you've done with it. And so for, for Jesus, he says, look, 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 death's coming, it's gonna happen. It, it's not about who dies, it's about when you die and what you've done before it. And here's the key, 
We're all guilty. But we all have the opportunity to repent. To repent in the sense of biblical terms is to change your mind about your sin, to change your mind about who you are, to change your mind about what you've done, but also to change your mind about Jesus. That Jesus is no longer a person to be used and manipulated, but he's the one and true son of God. He's the savior of the world. He's the one who paid the price for your sins. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and that's who he is. And that we acknowledge that that's who he is. But I changed my mind, and I am no longer those things in my life. It is no longer my will in my life, but it's his. Here's the question I have for you this morning. Have you repented? Have you? Have you changed your mind who you are? And do you see, as Paul says, the representation of their repentance is seen by their deeds of who they truly are? Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, and Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity that you give us to gather together. Lord, I pray that we would stay dressed, that we would keep our lamps burning, that we would actively wait for the return of the Master and live our lives in such a way that are reflective of that. Lord, but I pray that this morning, that if we're here, if we're hearing this message, Lord, there's still time to, to evaluate, to, to look and to see. Lord, what does obedience look like for us? What does generosity look like for us? What does our boldness look like? Lord, what does fear before you look like? Lord, as we stand before you, Lord, as the, as the teller of who we are, Lord, that you see and you know. Lord, we don't know when you return, but when you do, whether it's in this moment or a thousand years from now, Lord, have we been ready? Lord, and if we're not, Lord, my prayer for us this morning is those very simple words that you gave us in verse 3 and verse 5. Repent. Unless you repent, you will perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. Lord, may we stop saying we're sorry and then we start changing our mind. And we view ourselves through the lens of the gospel. May we see how desperately we need to be for you. Lord, we can't argue with one another. We just got to share. And it's my prayer that hearts that need to repent this morning will repent. Lord, they'll move from, from death to life. Lord, they'll see themselves of, of who they are before return of the Master. And that we will go and actively live every single moment. Jesus, as if you're about to return. Not because we have to, but because we get to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you ready? Are you ready? I pray that you are. Would you stand as we worship?
Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.